All right, all right, all right. <clears throat> Let's get fired up here. In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. And tonight we're going to do episode 63 on The Lion King. And this can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 63. And uh, we got a couple of housekeeping notes before we get into the last nighters portion of the show. But let's say hello to Robert. How are you doing, man? Finally. We're finally doing LK. I wrote a review about this movie. I put that movie in quotation marks. Uh, over a year ago. And it was something I've wanted to talk about because I have strong feelings about this steaming pile of animation. So I'm glad to be doing it. I'm glad to be here talking to you fine people. And speaking of talking to fine people, be on the lookout for an interview with Mr. Scottish Liberty Podcast that we're going to be posting on actual, or Anarchy in Action, is that the name of our show? We haven't done one in a while. That'll be up on the YouTubes. We'll also have an article about it up on the actualanarchy.com, and that'll be with Anthony Samara. Uh, and we've, we've teased you about having him on the show twice before. Hasn't happened yet, but I got a, a pretty good feeling it's going to happen this time. So look for I'll that. Believe when I, I'll believe it when it happens. And he was just on Tom Woods, and he's, he's making the rounds, and uh, so we're going to have about an hour with him, uh, so look for that. Uh, anything else uh, housekeeping-wise? How uh, how's the T-shirt business going there, Robert? Um, well, I don't expect it to be taken off or anything uh, until I really get into the promotion and the, uh, the website launching and you know, the bringing in the traffic. So, no, it, it's really not, not going very well just yet. But you know, I've, I've still got high hopes for it. Thanks for bringing up that point of pain, sir. <laughs> yeah, that sore spot, that sore spot of your entrepreneurial efforts. Thanks for needling me. I appreciate it. What are friends for, if not to needle their friends? Well, you know, I, I'm hoping that uh, it, it does take off for you and, and people can find your stuff on Amazon and also on TeePublic. So look for that. We've also got your uh, stuff on the site, um, actualanarchy.com. And soon you're going to launch trubster.com, right? You better believe it. Yeah. Um, 
I'm still waiting for my samples to come in to know if my suppliers are going to be reliable or not and if the quality is up to my standard. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, TeePublic and Amazon are where to get my stuff. And I might just launch without the, uh, the store portion and just kind of have links to – that's what um, uh, Libertopia, those guys do, which um, I think is perfectly fine. It's not, it's not ideal, but it is, it is suitable for what you're doing. I mean, it's – anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, Moving I, support, on. I support that. I, I think that the earlier you get it out there, the better. Possibly, yeah. I also believe in uh, doing things right – but I know, I know you're against that. <laughs> well, there's always time to, to hone it down. But, you know, if you never get if, – if you allow perfection to be the thing, you'll never be done. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. If, you, if you're waiting for perfection to happen, you'll wait your whole life. Um, I'm not asking for perfection. I'm just uh, – I just have certain standards. It, it, it's, you know, it is a curse to have high standards. I can't just throw shit at a wall. Well, our, our, our audience doesn't know anything about having high standards because they're listening to us right now. So thank you, audience, for lowering your standards to our level to be able to enjoy our content at Actual Anarchy and ActualAnarchy.com. So this is episode yeah. 63 on The Lion King, and we're going to get into this in our normie-friendly mode. And this is a shareable version that uh, you can send to friends and family that doesn't have the anarchy stank on it, even though, you know, anarchy is actually voluntary cooperation, but they're not going to know that, right? So we've got that version. Um, this will be lastnighters.com slash six on The Lion King. And we have some new intro music we're going to try out. This isn't necessarily the final music because it's kind of like gauntlet, like, 8-bit video game style. You'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. So here we go. Well, wait, one, one caveat before we get started. I just want to say um, I have strong feelings about this movie, and it's probably not the most shareable with normies, probably. Um, I'm going to spend the entire episode probably ranting about this piece of propaganda, about this authoritarian worshiping propaganda piece. So anyway, I mean, share it anyway. I'd love it, but, uh, you know, just, just be, be prepared. <laughs> I mean, I'll try and say a few things about the, the, the filmmaking and the acting and the whatever, too, and the whole, you know, a, a analysis of a movie, but it's just hard to get past the, uh, the blatant, blatant propaganda. But anyway, go ahead. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. Initiating video game version of Normie Mode. And welcome to the next episode of The Last Nighters. We are The Last Nighters, and we do unconventional, real unconventional film analysis. Spoilers all the time. My name is Daniel, and my co-host is Robert. And we're going to yeah. do The Lion King. Lion King tonight on uh, episode six. So you can find this at lastnighters.com slash six. How you doing, Robert? We're going to get into the Google description in just a moment here. Oh, yeah, I'm loving life. I'm super pumped up for this film. This is going to be great. Um, I first watched this movie, you know, many, many years ago, and I've watched it a few times since, but um, lately, lately this movie has taken a turn in my consciousness, and where many, like maybe 10 years ago, I would have given it high marks, this has just turned into a giant steaming pile. So, a little preview for my, uh, my analysis and review there. All oh, right. Man, I'm doing great. Like we said, spoilers all the time. Robert has already spoiled his review. 
But that's okay because we're going to go for, you know, probably an hour or so here. Talking about The Lion King came out in 1994, Disney movie, animated. You But you already know that. Uh, you got high marks. High marks on Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and, and Google users. Uh, 8.5, 92% Rotten Tomatoes, and 93% of Google users like it. So, Robert, you're in that minority uh, on this one. Uh, Firmly. So here's the Google description. The Disney animated feature follows the adventure, adventures, ooh, multiple, of the young lion Simba, the heir of his father Mufasa. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Simba's wicked uncle Scar plays or plots to usurp Mufasa's throne by luring father and son into a stampede of wildebeests. But Simba escapes and only Mufasa is killed. Simba returns as an adult to take back his homeland from Scar with the help of his friends Timon and Pumbaa. Came out June 24, 1994, budget of $45 million. It is the eighth highest grossing animated film of all time, according to this, uh, though there are several character or actor uh, errors in this Google description I'm reading. They're, they're saying that the adult Simba is played by Jeremy Irons. They're saying that Scar was played by Rowan Atkinson. Uh, these are all incorrect. Those are all incorrect. Um, Rowan Atkinson played the the freaking... Toucan. The bird. Yeah, the bird. Uh, Matthew, Matthew Broderick played adult Simba. But um, spoiler alert on that description, that pretty much breaks down the entire movie. Uh, tells you, I mean, you got to say something about what the actual story is about, but that is exactly what happens. Other than that, i got no real beefs with it. It's fine. Um, the success of this movie annoys me, but, I mean, it's not only a movie, but it's also been turned into like a Broadway play, and it seems to have a life and legs beyond it. The, the screen version, which I guess most Disney properties do, but there's an entire generation of human beings that like this movie, and then there's another generation being raised up now being shown this movie due to terrible parenting um, who are now enjoying this movie. I mean, these young, impressionable minds being shown this horrific propaganda. I can just imagine the, um, the kind of level of parenting that's going on here, the kind of um, irresponsible... Um, just, just horrific parenting that's going on. And these are digs from Robert directed towards me because I watched this movie with my kids last night, which is appropriate because we're the last nighters. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Robert's not a big fan of this film, but uh, let's get into some categories, shall we? Um, yeah. Tears jerked, right? There's a couple of things that happen in this that are emotional, the illicit emotion. You've got birth, you've got life, you've got death, you've got, you know, the circle of life. And, oh, by the way, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? That's a big song from this. So this is going to come out right before Valentine's Day. So this is sort of our Valentine's Day thing. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. But tears yeah. jerked out of you, Robert. Negative zero. I, I, all I can do watching this movie is look at it with uh, Mr. Potato Head angry eyes, scowling with hatred, just eye beams of hate, just like Superman heat vision at the screen. So when there are supposed to be emotional moments, like when Mufasa dies or the son, you know, reconnecting with his ghost sky dad or triumphing, I guess, over Scar and being reunited and the whole birth and everything, it's just hatred coming out of me. Just re resentment at being at this, at this blatantly terrible movie. So zero, zero, zero tears, Daniel. Tell me wow. that you had some tears. Yeah, well, I mean, my as kids, a father. Yeah, as a father, yeah. My, my kids took that a little bit uh, uh, in a, you know, it was difficult for them to watch the father die because then they're like, well, Dad, are you going to die? And then I have to, you know, tell them the whole, well, yeah, eventually. And hopefully, you know, when you're much, much older and all of that. Uh, 
So it's, it's, it brings up a difficult conversation with kids. But I did have, you know, some emotional impact from this, though I also have some of the same misgivings about how contrived a lot of it is. Um, Simba is an annoying little kid, and then when he grows up in the jungle, the mighty jungle, with Pumbaa and Timon, he's like this burnout, hippie, nihilistic hedonist who I just can't like, <laughs> you know? Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so so a little bit, you know. I mean, the dad, yeah, that's sad, but his his dad was also kind of a tyrant. So you know, kind of. Well, let, let's get into that a little bit. Let's let's offshoot, okay? Because there is a, a matter of trespass, and I wanted to ask you this. Mm-hmm. So young Simba and Nala disobey the father and go to the elephant graveyard and trespass on the hyenas' property. And the hyenas hyenas are like, "Hey, yo, this is our place. Uh, we are going to do whatever we want to you now." Yep. What? What's your position on this? Now, my position is, well, yeah, the hyenas have every right to ask him to leave, force him to leave if need be, but anything beyond that is overstep. Well, are we, are we saying that these boundaries and these lands are legitimately owned? Is that what we're saying? Are we saying that, that Mufasa, when they have that scene where they're looking out over the savannah, and he says, all this, everything you can see is ours, even though there's all these other people that live there? Are we, are, we, are we granting them that this is their private property? For this particular argument, because it seemed to be the accepted boundary by both parties involved in Between this dispute. These, in this one specific case. Okay. Right. So you're not saying that Mufasa has any kind of legitimate claim as this land-owning king person? No, I'm trying to isolate it to they both accept, both parties, the hyenas and Simba and Nala, both accept that they are not in the pride land. They are now where the hyenas live. Yeah, I, for me, you know, you can have no trespassing signs on your property. You can have, you know, a policy of, hey, if you come onto our property, we're going to ask you to leave. And if you refuse to leave, we will physically remove you. But I don't, for me, you don't have the right to just execute anybody that happens to stumble on your land. That seems like, I mean, proportional response, you know, within reason. Um, they're, I mean, even if they are aggressing against you in the sense that, hey, I'm going to step on your land and there's nothing you can do about it, buddy, um, you, that doesn't mean you have the right to just shoot them in the head. I mean, if they're not you know, directly threatening you or somebody you love or anything like that or anybody else. Um, but I know, I know there's a healthy debate on the topic, but that's where I, that's where I stand. Uh, I've heard the people straw man libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism and saying that well, that just means that anybody that walks on your property, you can just execute them, which is ridiculous a ridiculous standard. Nobody, I mean, common law today is essentially very libertarian, very anarcho-capitalistic. It's very property, property rights. Property is nine-tenths the law. And there is no such standard where you walk on somebody's land and they just execute you and there's no recourse, or they shoot at you, or they shoot you, you know. That's clearly a disproportionate response. All right. Well, I'm going to agree. So circle gets the square on that one. Now I'll take it a step further. The Mm -hmm. hyenas then give chase and attempt to murder Simba and Nala. And uh, Simba defends himself and scratches one of the hyenas in the face. And then once they're cornered and he roars weakly and then there's a loud roar and it's Mufasa, 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 who comes in and kicks the hyenas asses in their own home. Uh, What is your perception of that incident? Well, since it's a disproportionate response and you've got a father protecting his son or, you know, father coming to the rescue, coming to the defense of anybody else, 
I would be perfectly okay with that. If my son stumbled into somebody else's property and they threatened to eat him, I would absolutely go in there and rescue him by whatever means necessary. That's not even a question. I would just absolutely do it. Damn the consequences. I think I'm perfectly morally justified in doing that. All they have the right to do is to say, I'm sorry, would you please leave? I mean, since we're playing along with the animals as people allegory, right? We're not talking about the laws of the jungle where where there are hyenas and they will eat whatever they can eat and it's perfectly fine. We are giving these hyenas human voices and animating them and giving them human personalities, right? I mean, the whole movie is all one giant allegory. Sure, sure. And, and to offshoot off of that, uh, there's a three-hour Jungian analysis by Jordan Peterson up on YouTube that is quite interesting. And uh, if, if you aren't familiar with Jordan Peterson, he's a super intelligent guy who's a great orator, and he's all about taking individual responsibility and making yourself better before you go out and try to improve the rest of the world. And he's studied and written a book on mythology and stories throughout time, and uh, he's just a, a wealth of information, and he's like super hot right now. He's like, uh, what are they saying, Zoolander? He's so hot right now. Sounds like some sort of racist misogynist, but okay, I'll trust your word on it. Ha! Ha-ha! No, I think anybody who's familiar with us is familiar with Jordan Peterson. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his, and I just got his book. I've been reading it, and I, I have a, uh, a short write-up um, on just the first part of the book because that's as far as I've made it because we're too busy creating content to be consuming it, uh, sadly. But anyway, um, I wanted to jump over to what I think is going to be your biggest point of contention, and that is the... Um, the entire movie? Well, the entire movie, but the whole monarchy, the king owns the land and has rulership over everyone else. I think that's a big... Um, that's your main crux, right? So, well, the, I would the like movie to, starts off. Okay, go ahead. Well, I just want to do a contrast uh, similar to uh, an author and philosopher and economist that, that some people may not be familiar with, a guy named Hans Hermann Hoppe, who wrote a book called Democracy, the God that Failed. And in that book, he compares and contrasts democracy to monarchy and just compares the incentive structure and the likely outcomes of each. He's not advocating for one over the other, or uh, he's not even considering anything out. He anything else. He's just comparing those two against each other. A lot of people get confused when they when they um, encounter his work for the first time. They think that he's advocating for one of these things. He's not. He's just comparing them. So anyway, I wanted to bring that up because I think it plays a pretty relevant role in the um, reign of Mufasa versus the reign of Scar. How so? They're both monarchists. Well, one is so, apparently shitty at it. And one is apparently amazing at it because one makes the, gas, the grass grow and the other one makes the, the, the land go fallow for some reason. Well, here, here's the reason. The reason is Mufasa is all about handing the kingdom down to his successor, his son. So he has an incentive to not expropriate and exploit the resources in the short term. Scar, on the other hand, even though he's technically a monarchist, he has implemented a totalitarian, top-down, uh, Nazi-esque regime with a horde of hyena foot soldiers. And his whole point in his existence is to get respect via power and to enjoy that bounty while it lasts. He is not thinking long-term. He's not thinking down through successors. He's just thinking about himself only. And so he's extra extracting as many resources as possible for as long as he can until he exhausts them. So what he evidence is, do you, what? I'm sorry. 
You're, you're saying it's hilarious, ridiculous. You haven't seen this movie? I've seen this movie. I watched this movie. When yeah, I've Z- seen the movie a couple times. Zazu is in the uh, rib cage, right? Yeah. And singing the songs, and he's like, no, sing something happier. He's there, fat and happy, sitting on his back, picking his teeth, getting the food out. Meanwhile, the hyenas come in, and they say they're starving, there's no food, right? Yeah. And he's been assigning people jobs top down, you know, your What's job, up? comrade, is this. The lioness's job is to go and hunt. The hyena's That's the job same is to, under Mufasa. The hyena's job is to keep the, everyone else, you know, the, the boot on the neck. So there's so, a difference. So how does that expropriate the resources? Because Scar is living for today. He's living for, I want to enjoy this right now, everything else be damned. Mufasa is, I want to make sure that we take care of things as much as possible so that it is long-lasting. And that is one of the differences between democracy and a monarchy that Hoppe points they're, out. They're, they're, they're both monarchists, sir. And there's, there's zero evidence for what you're saying. The well, only difference between Scar and Mufasa is that Scar has a group of hyena thugs, hyena Nazis. Everything else is the exact same. Mufasa, yeah, he listens to Zazu, so, and Scar has brought in a bunch of hyenas. Otherwise, everything else is the exact same. So maybe Have the you, hyenas are eating a little bit more? Well, of course they are. They're eating a shit sure. ton. Okay. So Mufasa, in his benevolence, he kept, he, he kept the, the hyenas over on their own land. But Scar, in his malevolence, brought these hyenas in to the bounty, and then there were too many predators for the uh, sustaining population? Is that what you're saying? Well, in a sense, sure. But what I'm saying is that, that the mindset is... Because that's not what happens in the movie. Extract as much as possible. But that's not what happens in the movie. It is what happens in the movie. No, no, sir. No, the, there's no food because the land has gone fallow and the prey animals have moved on. They've left Pride Rock in the surrounding savannah. And Scar won't leave to go follow the food. That is part of that's, it. That, that's, no, that's the only difference. While Mufasa is reigning, they have bounty because it's all green and lush and there's all the prey animals bowing down and whatever to be eaten or whatever. And then when Scar takes over, it stops raining, and then he gets blamed for the bad weather is essentially what happens. Right. Well, so what you're doing is you're, you're taking it literal with no concept of a, a time in between these events happening. I know, and you're or, filling in the gaps with what you imagine happened. Right, and, and there's reasons why things have moved on, why things have gone fell, and it's because of the short uh, time preference that Scar is exhibiting. <laughs> So, the pre- Scar is in control of the weather now because of his time preference? No, I'm not saying the weather. I'm saying he's extracting resources at a higher rate than Mufasa did because he has no incentive to maintain it beyond today. I think you're trying to make the facts fit your argument, sir. That is not what happened in the movie. He, I'm not there's saying a me- that- there's a scene There's a scene where Scar talks to the head lion lady, and he's like, you need to go out and get some food. And she's like, there is no food. It's all, they've all left. Right, and, that, and why did they leave? Because Scar was extracting all the resources. No, 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 because the land looks like a desert. There's nothing for them to eat. All right, well, apparently you're not, you have no vision, but that's okay. <laughs> well, Moving I'm not on. inventing facts, it's true. Moving on, let's go to the, the Nazi and satanic symbolism with the goose-stepping hyenas. Let's talk about that for a minute. All right. Does that not support my case that he's not merely a monarchist? No, I think, I think Hitler was absolutely a monarchist. You think there were elections in Nazi Germany after Hitler yes. took over? No. Well, he, he rose to power via democratic means. Yes, he absolutely did. Do you think he was going to continue elections afterwards? No. He rose to power in like 1932, and he was in power for like 10 years. 
13 years. Yeah, so it was Roosevelt. Yeah, but Roosevelt kept getting elected. There were no elections that re-elected Hitler. Apparently I need to brush up on my Hitler history here. <laughs> yeah. But the point is there's a lot of symbolism in this movie, right? Oh, there's tons of it. There's tons of it. Uh, I, the very first opening scene is essentially a, a people, the front cover of a people magazine, where some British royal is born, and then all these people are bowing and like worshipping this little dictator authoritarian person. They're, they're, they're bowing down to the creature that's going to eat them. So I guess it's a fairly, fairly decent uh, message that the movie's making there. People oh, all right. love their, love their, love their uh, slavery. So I have a behind-the-scenes like tidbit for you, because I'm sure you haven't okay. seen this. They made a um, follow-up to this, Lion King 1 and a half, and then Lion King 2. Lion King 1 and a half follows the adventures of Pumbaa and Tim, Timon yeah. uh, growing up as they met how they saved the Serengeti, etc. Like all the, the gap between when they find Simba and Simba grows up. So in the opening scene, they are at Pride Rock at Simba's presentation and Pumbaa, the warthog, has terrible gas, which plays into another talking point I have. Um, so in Lion King one and a half, he is trying to get towards the front of the line to see this presentation of Simba and he farts and all the animals surrounding pass out and fall on the ground. And then the animals nearby, similar to the wave being started at a stadium, think that these animals are starting a bow. And so then the rest of them bow because, you know, they are a hive mind, Borg-like animal kingdom, and they think that it's bow time. So that's why they bowed, apparently. That would explain the first time, but it doesn't explain the end of the movie when they bow again to the new creature. Oh, it may have become a tradition, I suppose, but yeah. There you go. Tradition. <laughs> but let, let's, it's all uh, thanks to Pumbaa farting. Yeah, so let's talk about Pumbaa wild. farting. When yeah. um, Timon and Pumbaa meet up with Simba, they um, tell him a little bit of their origin, and they're like, Pumbaa felt really bad because he would go to the watering hole and fart, and everyone would socially ostracize him. Yeah. And so to me, that was like a, a very strong... Um, example of, you know, if somebody does something terrible or gross, people aren't going to want to be around them. So social ostracism is a very powerful deterrent. Not that he could really do anything about his bad gas. I mean, he's eating bugs all the time and he's a pig. But uh, I wondered if maybe that would be a jumping off point for you to sort of talk about ostracism in the sense of, you know, how you would deal with undesirable behavior in a society, etc. Well, sure. We live in a world where social acceptance is insanely powerful. I mean, we are such social organisms that people get fired for being mean or saying the wrong thing and posting the wrong thing on Twitter. People get fired. I mean, there was a multi-million dollar boycott of an airline because somebody got thrown off an airplane. Uh, we live in an incredibly rigid social structure, and which is why it's always hilarious when people say, well, if we didn't have government, we'd have people, warlords, taking over and we'd have to all run in fear like the McDonald's or the Coca-Cola death squads. I mean, we, we, people get destroyed for making a pass at a woman <laughs> improperly or something like that. Uh, they have their careers destroyed. Uh, we, we live in an incredibly rigid world. So the fact that, you know, the idea that we would not put up with a man behaving badly, but we would put up with guys running around in pickup trucks, machine guns, threatening everybody's life is just kind of hilarious. So yeah, social norms are super, super powerful. They 
are more powerful, I would argue, and is a better punishment. In fact, a more extreme form of punishment than any kind of like jail system or prison system. I mean, there are people that go into cults. Well, I mean, government is a cult, but you know what I mean, like a like a Heaven's Gate kind of a cult, or uh, seven. You know, imagine some sort of rigid like religion where you know you're not allowed to talk to outsiders or whatever. You're you're only supposed to follow this strict form of behavior. Now, people will put up with that just for the social benefits, just for the, the pats on the back and the camaraderie and uh, everybody's a part of a group, feeling part of the group. And then if you leave, if you leave the church, you are socially ostracized. So people will put up with crap they don't even believe anymore simply for the friendship. There are people who won't leave, you know, these crazy churches just so they don't have to be alone or, you know, their social circles don't evaporate. Um, I don't know if you've seen that movie, um, Going Clear, the Scientology one, but there are people that have been in or were in Scientology for decades, and they feared speaking against the church because once you do that, you are ostracized, and you're like a persona non grata, and there are families that have been torn apart from it. So, like, the kid is still in the indoctrination mode, and all their friends and family, you know, all the friends and everybody they know is in the church, but then the, the parent will, like, you know, get outside the church or see all some of the messed up stuff that the church does, and they'll, like, leave. And then, of course, then the church goes and, like, demonizes that person and says that you are, you know, you're basically an untouchable. You cannot be talked to. You can't be friends with anybody in the church anymore. And you've got children that turn their backs on their own parents because of this fear of being ostracized by the church and the indoctrination and whatnot, too. But it's huge, huge factor. And, um, yeah, people don't, don't notice it because it's everywhere all around us all the time. All right, and so that, it's not like super powerful, but it is. And that's an example of it, and that's a pretty striking one. So, uh, so great rant there. Uh, I want to hmm. take it back a little bit to um, how Simba grows up with these guys because it sounded like you wanted to jump on that a little bit. So he basically becomes a witless moron a homeless drifter eating bugs with his stoner buddies, living in a land of plenty where he never has to develop a work ethic, and they have a philosophy of Hakuna Matata, which is, like I was saying earlier, nihilistic hedonism, which they consider a problem-free philosophy, but I think that uh, you might be able to identify some problems with that. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Well, I'm sure you've got some points too, but one point I wanted to make was essentially they start glorifying essentially the anarcho-primitivist position of living in nature, in a state of nature, without any kind of support structure or technology or anything like that and just show they I mean they essentially gloss over any kind of like struggles or problems that that would bring and they essentially say well yeah your food's right there just sitting there bugs I mean if you like eating bugs but you'd also be living out exposed to the elements and predators and the danger sleeping out in the open overnight um, it's a very I mean there's it gets romanticized a lot in all kinds of media, um, this idea that, you know, these, your hectic um, rat race type of life is too much, and it can be, and it is, and it can be very stressful, and it can cause a lot of problems, and you can get, you know, heart disease and all kinds of other problems, working really hard. But the idea that you're going to throw away all this technology and all these advancements and all these riches that you have and then go live in nature, and it's just going to be fantastic, it, but that's just stupid. Yeah. Really, really stupid. I mean, humans, first of all, we're talking about animals in this movie where they have claws and teeth and whatever. But humans, we've evolved to the point where we're not going to be like Mr. Survivor Man. 
I mean, well, you die from grills. exposure real quick. But anyway, go ahead. You make your point, Daniel. Bear grills might be. But, uh, you know, I used to be a bit of a prepper. And at the time, it made sense, you know, insulate yourself, protect your yourself and your family, make sure you've got food stores and grow your own garden, have your own chickens, et cetera, et cetera. But then as you learn about economics, you begin to realize that there's specialization and the division of labor. There's only so much time in the day and, and being a, um, a jack of all trades, master of none means that you're not quite good enough at any set of things to be very productive. And so, you know, that's one angle on like why it's so beneficial to trade and specialize, right? Because then people can become expert level and, and produce well more than, uh, than someone who's not very good at it and then trade what they're able to create. And that's why the market is so, so wonderful. Absolutely. Um, so, and then back to the Anprim stuff, uh, you know, it, it might work in a garden of Eden type scenario where everything you want at any time is readily available, but we don't live in that world. We don't live in this post scarcity situation, which I don't even think we ever will unless we get the Star Wars replicators, which uh, I don't think are even possible, even on a like a physics like you know uh, equations level possible, right? So anyway, that was my little mini rant within your rant, and then you can continue. Okay. Well, I was uh, my only real other you know non ranty type thing in terms of story critique. This is going to totally switch the the vibe of the show, but I wanted to talk just a little bit about the main plot point where Scar lures Simba to the gorge and then he starts the stampede and then he gets Mufasa in there to hopefully kill both of them. So from Simba's perspective, your uncle Scar is like, hey, come here, check this out. Hey, hang out here for a bit. Okay. So he's sitting underneath this tree, chilling, and then this stampede starts. Okay, you don't know that Scar started it, but okay. And then your dad tries to rescue you. Okay. Your dad dies. And then, but then you survive and your uncle Scar comes back and he's like, oh man, you're still alive. Oh yeah, my dad died. And you have this moment. But then Scar tells you, you know, this is your fault. He wouldn't have tried to rescue you. He wouldn't have died if he hadn't tried to rescue you, blah, blah, blah. You need to get out of here. And so Simba's like, okay. And he kind of starts to go. And then Scar says to these hyenas, you know, kill him. And Simba never really puts two and two together. He never goes, huh, I wonder why my uncle told those hyenas to kill me. That seems like a weird thing for my uncle to do. What, what, what is, is he just the stupidest protagonist in movie history or is it just Disney history? Or is there some sort of weird mental gymnastics where he just never thinks about this moment? But he carries the guilt with him the whole movie and that's the main driving force of keeping him away from whatever. It, it, it really sucks with me. It, just, it ruins the whole even story of the movie for me. Because okay. you got something? Well, I, I do, because you're right. It doesn't make much sense because he knows that Scar invited him there. So why is it his fault that he right. was there? Right. And then, of course, you know, he hears Scar tell the hyenas to kill him, who, by the way, don't do the job. They don't finish the job because they don't want to get inconvenienced in the thorns. And this is because they have no incentive to complete the job. They're like reporting to the commissars, like, oh, we, we made 500 pounds of nails, so they make one giant fucking nail. <laughs> right. So, you know, Scar, and why didn't Scar do it when he had the chance? I mean, Simba's right there. He's in this ravine by himself with dead Mufasa. Just yeah. do it. Kill him. If that's what you're going to do. Kill him. But instead, he chooses to hurt Simba's feels to impose guilt upon him, even though he was about to have him killed. And this brings up a question I have, is in nature, do male lions live together? Or is it like a male, dominant male, and then a, a pride of females? Isn't there something about, you know, like if, if 
a, a cub from another uh, father encounters a male lion, that male lion will kill it. So why did Mufasa have Scar living with them when he's this shady bastard? And, you know, why doesn't he, like, follow the natural course of things and not have a competing male lion living in his pride? Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you're talking, but, you know, I, I think this whole movie is one giant allegory for royalty and the slave class that is food for them. But, I mean, to me, this is one giant excuse and explanation as to why people need rulers, because Simba comes back, takes over, and all of a sudden the grass has grown green again. The rains come back, so government, good government makes the grass grow, brings all the benefits and joys and whatever to people. Everybody's happy again under good rulership. I put that in quotation marks. So it's all one big excuse for, you know, argument for, or for uh, authority. Just good, good authority, benevolent authority. Yeah, as if there's such a thing. So let's talk a little bit about, um, so Scar monologues rather than killing Simba when he had the chance. And he does it later at the very end of the movie where he's got Simba hanging off a pride rock about to fall into the fire. And then he's, rather than just do it, he, he says to him, oh, actually, I killed your father, which gets Simba all pissed off and he leaps up and then starts fighting, you know, Scar and, and Scar ends up getting eaten by hy- hyenas. So why does Scar have the compulsion to monologue like a Bond he's villain? A he's a mustache twirling villain. <laughs> and he, this is what people make fun of for movies. And why do the hyenas kill him for saying like one or two lines about them being bad? Like, oh, they're the actual enemy. In order to wrap up the story in a neat little bow. So it's the yeah, wrap I... it up box. Wrap it up, B. <laughs> Someone was playing the, the wrap it up music. And they had to do it. All right. I, I, I don't know. I have one more note, uh, and this might play into Simba being kind of a dummy. He's an entire. He's a moron the whole movie. Right, but, but he, he does make the realization when um, is it Rafiki? That's the monkey guy. Yeah. Uh, invites Simba on this quest through the Dagobah swamp, Yoda style, to see his father again. Right. And then he sees his own reflection and then realizes the stars are his dad and whatever, you know, and that's when he like realizes he needs to be the man or the lion that he's meant to be, yada, yada. But it just seems so like straight ripped out of uh, Star Wars, but they just had to make note of it. Okay, that's fair enough. I, I was annoyed when Nala comes and finds him and says, you have to come back. You're our only hope. What? Oh, yeah. Another straight rip. <laughs> Well, it, not only is it a straight rip from Star Wars, but it's just uh, you can only we can only be saved by the king because we can't we don't have any agency ourselves. We can't right. do anything. Well, she We're didn't powerless. even know she didn't even know he was alive when she set out on this mission. No, she sure didn't. And it, it reminds me of Force Awakens, where they're like, "We got to find Luke Skywalker," and then they do, and it's like, "All right, a nothing burger." It's like, what's the point? <laughs> yep. Why? Why was there the big push to get him? Because he didn't do anything. Yep. I don't. Oh man. All right, let's talk about craft of making the movie, it, it, okay. unless you, you got anything else here. I got all kinds of stuff, but let's, let's move it on. All right, so the craft, uh, at the time, the animation, I'm sure, was very high-end, but looking back, you know, it's, what, 24 years old now, it looks a little muddy to me, a little bit, you know, jaggy, different style, I think, because animation had sort of shifted towards the Pixar style, which is much cleaner and, like, computer graphic-y, but I think that this uh, looks fairly dated but it does have i believe one of those notorious disney dirty easter eggs and and i didn't see it uh when i was watching the movie but apparently if you pause it at just the right time when he's like blowing the dust through the clouds it spells the word sex well there's also the scene where nala gives 
Simba the fuck me eyes. That's, that's oh yeah, pretty yeah. Jordan Peterson uh, talks about that one pretty <laughs> in his in his lecture series. Yeah, he's like he doesn't know what he's getting himself into here, and everyone laughs at this scene because they know what's going on. Like it's so you know it's blatant and clear. But another thing uh, Peterson brings up is that the um, emotions and the the facial features and, and expressions are spot on in this. You know, you get the the you know Scar is that creepy like villain who's getting away with something, and and you just you see it you know in the animation. And I know that they must have worked really hard to get those just right. So I think the craft of this movie, though dated, is is very strong. Well, I've always been a fan of hand drawn animation. And this is one of those first movies, along with like Beauty and the Beast, where they have that one 3D animation scene. This one is the, the stampede in Beauty and the Beast. It's like the ballroom scene where the camera's swirling around. But like you said, yeah, um, we are more used to a very crisp, clean Pixar look. And yeah, if you look back at these in the lower resolution that these were originally scanned in and whatnot, um, it's not as crisp and clean. But you do get those those wonderful um, flourishes and artistic moments where the animators are able to perfectly capture an expression that the CG animators, even though they're incredibly talented and probably some of the same people, just aren't quite the same. It's just not quite the same feel to it. But yeah, the craft is super high. Um, music's good. Um, you know, I can't really complain too much about the, the making of the movie. Um, I know like Matthew Broderick catches shit for his voicing of adult Simba. It's not super great. Um, James Earl Jones as the voice of Mufasa. Of course, you can't go wrong there. But, um, I mean, my, my, my complaints are all about the story. So <laughs> the craft is fine for me. Yeah. You know, speaking of the, the acting, I think Jeremy Irons was amazing in this. Yeah, he does Scar. a good star. He does a good yeah. job being the uh, evil villain guy, for sure. Yeah. And Broderick did stand out to me as, like, kind of one of the weaker. I mean, the Simba character, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, I think, the, the kid from uh, Home Improvement, was young Simba. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just the whole not liking Simba and not, not liking Jonathan Taylor Thomas, I guess that kind of brushed on to uh, poor Matthew Broderick, who I, I normally like in things. Like, he's great in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's great in um, The Cable Guy. You know, he's, he's, he's got decent chops. I mean, he's the same guy in every, every movie he's ever in, but he's likable. Yeah, he doesn't, except, doesn't have a lot of range. I mean, he did Godzilla. What's that, Godzilla 2000 or something like that or whatever that terrible movie that was? But, yeah, he's normally usually pretty good. All right. So, oh, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, So that was our craft one. I'm going to give it an eight uh, on that. And then let's get your rating, and then we'll move on to my next point here. Okay. uh, Craft, uh, it doesn't age quite as well as it otherwise would um, in the Super HD era. It just doesn't quite hold up. But I'll I'll give it a a, a 7.4. All right, very good. So I actually only have one note left, and this one might be a, a lengthy point, and we've got about you know five or so minutes left of the show. But um, Mufasa, 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 the Cheech Marin says, um, Scar outlaws the word. And I know that that is a, uh, a thing relevant to Canada right now, where you have to compel speech to say certain things or not say certain things with fines and imprisonment. And I find that to be a rather... I find that to be a rather interesting um, note from this film. And uh, side note, um, my wife growing up, this movie was, of course, very popular back when she was in high school. 
and there was a, a girl who uh, was a little slow, and she saw this movie and loved that scene where Teach Marin says, Mufasa, 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 so she would say that all the time. So anyway, back to the point about it being uh, an outlawed word, uh, and go. Well, you can tell, yeah, that, that um, Scar is the victim. I mean, he was clearly being preyed upon by these horrific people who kept saying the word Mufasa to hurt his feelings. Um, they were oppressing him with their hate speech. Uh, his feelings were important, and they weren't recognizing that. So, yeah, absolutely, you know, outlaw that word so that uh, nobody's feelings get hurt. Yeah, don't hurt the feelsies. Uh, and speaking of Jordan Peterson, he did a very uh, amazing interview with Kathy Newman, I want to say her name is, with um, Channel 4. And whoa, the, whoa, whoa, the whoa. And oh, man, what? He, uh, New person, sir. He got her into a conundrum where I think his point was um, you're, if you're saying that you can't say things that offend people and hurt their feelings, you've been combative with me for this whole interview. You've hurt my feelings. So how, how do you have the right to do that where I don't have the right to say things? And well, yeah, but by, by making any kind of truth claim, you are risking offending somebody by making any kind of statement at all, actually. So unless we outlaw all speech altogether... <laughs> You're going to make some distinction between what is true and what is false. So you're essentially going to offend somebody who believes the false thing. Right. And there are plenty of people who believe false things. And if you did outlaw all speech, then you'd also have to then outlaw all action because then some actions would take place of speech because communication would be required to have society and voluntary trade and basically anything. So this is a very bad path that they're taking in the Lion King under the Scar regime and in Canada. Well, it's consistent with their anti-human philosophy. So if you take it to its logical conclusion, everybody will be dead, and then everybody will be equal, equally dead. Equally dead. Final, finally, equality. The final solution for equality is the final right. solution. It's very – to bring Hitler back into this because, you know, that's been our big uh, talking point. Um, yeah, I guess if you want to have the equality, then you have to just have full-blown socialism and starvation and death. Yeah, buddy. All right, well, let's get into our final summary and review uh, before we wrap up the last nighters here. Okay, so this movie is terrible. I don't recommend you watch it for any reason. Please don't show it to children. Um, I didn't mention this during the show, but there's especially one little scene where little Hitler is talking about how he's going to be so great when he's king. And he, he says the line, I'm brushing up on looking down. He, he can't wait to look down on everybody else and have everybody do what he wants. So to say that this movie isn't like a little authority-worshipping propaganda piece is kind of a, a joke to me. I, I, maybe you think I'm latching on to these little bits and extrapolating it out into the whole, but I, I challenge you to watch this movie as an analyst and say that this is just some story about lions and a family struggle. It's, it's absolutely an allegory to worship authority yeah, there's no other way to put it anyway this is a terrible movie don't watch it for any reason other than to analyze it and to try and understand what dumb people used to believe um well they still do but hopefully not in the future so i'm going to say that this for craft purposes alone and for james earl Jones's magnificent voice i'll give this a two out of ten all right i thought you might have gone with the one and a half from lion king one and a half uh so I'm going to give it a, a better rating than that because I, I not only like the craft and the acting for the most part, uh, the story is at least interesting. It has plenty of talking points. And as you were saying, you know, you're taking these little bits and extrapolating something else out of it. 
Perhaps I'm doing that a little bit as well, but I'm trying to draw that distinction between monarchy and democracy, not uh, directly, but just in the, um, the contrast of the two different regimes. Yes, they were both monarchies, but one was very much more author authoritarian uh, overtly than the other, and so that is contrasted uh, and analyzed very expertly by Hans-Hermann Hoppe in Democracy, the God That Failed. So I'm recommending that book to everyone. Check it out. It's a short read. It'll blow your mind. And, uh, so, so wait a minute. So Scar was more honest, and that's and that's why he's the villain, because Mufasa ruled more subvertly. Okay. He certainly was more honest in his uh, evil intention. Yes. Okay. So he's the villain because he's honest. Mufasa's the hero because he's a secret authoritarian. All right. Right, but Scar did, did murder people and try to murder more. How directly. many people did Mufasa murder? Many, 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 many. It's all part Hundreds. of the circle. It's all part of the circle of life, as he explained to young Simba growing up. Yeah, that was yeah, the circle of life of of politicians and kings <laughs> preying on everybody else. That's the circle of life. <laughs> and and speaking of circle of life, that's Elton John. He did the music for this, and he just recently announced he is retiring from touring. Because I guess he's old now. So anyway, uh, I'm going to go with a seven on this because oh I don't know, pulls on the old heartstrings for me. But I do concede to you that there are many levels of propaganda in the uh, in the story here. So that is our show for the Last Nighters, and you can find this episode at lastnighters.com/six. And I'm going to play a little outro music to send us off. Uh, Robert, do you have any final word for the Last Nighters? Uh, no, just your seven made me vomit a little bit in my mouth. All righty, here we go. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And continuing on with Actual Anarchy for just a few more minutes. Uh, man, Robert, I don't know if we can release this as the last Nighters episode. <laughs> I told you I was going to not be sugarcoating my, my viewpoints. All right. Well, because the actual anarchy audience is a longer, we've, we've tortured them for longer on previous episodes. Uh, I want to open up the floor to you for the potpourri of things you wishes you wished to still say about this movie. And we will post your review in the show notes page, which can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 63, right? Is it 63? Did I say that already? I feel like it did. Yes. Yeah, 63. You have the yeah. floor. Well, I mean, this is a movie about some thugs, who have declared ownership over a certain territory. And the only thing they do is they defend that territory or the people in it, the prey animals in it, from hyenas from eating them so that they themselves can eat them. So all they're doing is saying, look, we're going to protect you from other nations from having you be tax cattle so that you can be our tax cattle. And for some reason, that turns Mufasa into a hero. And then Simba later on at the end into a hero. It's disgusting. It's government propaganda at its worst. And uh, let's see, what are some other things that, uh, uh, let's see here. There's a scene where Mufasa says that all the great kings of the past looked down on us from the stars. <laughs> and besides, you know, whatever, it's like, yeah, they're always there to guide you, blah, blah, blah. It just made me think of the NSA and eternal surveillance. That's all it made me think of. Um, then there's the mustache-twirling, goose-stepping hyena scene with Scar's talking about murder and whatnot. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say about that other than it's demonizing one authoritarian overlord while you're celebrating another. It just seems fairly arbitrary. Um, the idea that there is some sort of a benevolent dictator is an oxymoron. 
There's nobody that says, I can rule you, but I'm going to do it gently. I'm going to do it nicely. So like in uh, Jack Black, you know, I'm going to fuck you gently. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever that song is. Jack Black fucking you gently. It's, it's, It's saying that, you know, Obama was a great president and Trump is bad because one spoke nicely and one says mean things. Meanwhile, they're both drone bombing brown people. It's so ludicrous if you judge actions at all, which is the only thing you probably should judge people by. Oh, I love how they're trotting out uh, George W. Bush now, and he's like everyone loves him now. And, and back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, he was literally Hitler. Yeah, that was weird. Um, yeah, they asked Georgie, uh, you know, if Russia was involved or whatever, and he was like, oh, yeah, totes involved. Um, and then there was also a SNL sketch sketch where uh, Will Ferrell came back. I think this was like two weeks ago now where he said, you know, I was a terrible president and blah, blah, blah. But it's weird that he's popping up again. It's true. I think you're pretty desperate when you're trying to romanticize George W. Bush or taking him as any kind of authority on anything. But I, it's weird. The left will stoop. I and mean, there's, there's no low that they'll stoop to, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty much all the same, just slightly different flavors. I mean, read my lips. I did not have sex with that weapon of mass destruction. If you like your WMD, you can keep your WMD. I mean, they're all lies. They're all the same. You know, the last, like, five or six presidents in a row, at least. I'm not a crook. Uh... You know, uh, it's not it's not illegal if the president does it. I mean, just it goes on and on. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know. I feel your pain. <laughs> Was that Jimmy Carter? I mean, uh, I I almost don't blame government for treating people like children because they act like children. You know, they they talk to them like they're children. They treat them like they're children. Like you know, you have to get whatever insurance or else because you know a, an an adult human being wouldn't be able to decide that for themselves. You have to have you have to wear your seatbelt because you're not an adult that can decide for themselves whether it's risky or not to wear your seatbelt or not. It, it's, 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 you know, the nanny state taking care of their babies, I guess. And so what you're saying is the Lion King, like, continues to propagate that scenario, right? Well, the Lion King is even worse. Lion King, I mean, first of all, they're saying that, yes, politicians are our only hope. The only way to get rid of, you know, one bad politician is with a good politician as if that such a thing exists, um, and then it justifies the predator class. It justifies, you know, all these people bowing down to their ruler, the, someone the, that will soon be eating them. Why would you worship someone who is I'm going to murder you? It doesn't make any sense to me, but it happens all the time. I don't, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to defend your rating. It's fine. You can feel about a movie however you want to feel. All right. Well, hey, let's but, wrap up. Let's wrap up this show, and maybe we can continue on in some Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which people can get access to at readrothbard.com or no, I'm sorry, patreon.com/readrothbard. Yeah, the other way around. And then you can get our pre-show and our post-show where we continue the discussion. Well, thanks for everybody for listening to me rant for this about this movie. Uh, there's been a whole lot of build-up, so I'm kind of like spraying it all over your face, neck, and chest um, when I finally get to talk about this movie. Uh, it's been had this one stuck in my craw for a while. There is a, uh, a review that I wrote for actualanarchy.com that will be linked in the show notes that, uh, where I went over, basically laid out some of my points, but I think I brought some more tonight that I hadn't talked about in the post. So if you want to get my full take, read both, read this and listen to this. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, stay sexy, stay classy, and take care. All right, Robert, you brought the heat tonight. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. ActualAnarchy.com slash 63 on The Lion King. Peace out. 
the chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 do